This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello and welcome to Test Kitchen Troubleshooting. I'm recipe developer Liberty Mendez from BBC Good Food and each week I'll be joined with a member of the Good Food Cookery team. We'll talk through their recipes, what the testing and development recipe process was really like and what they learnt along each step of the way. Have you ever wondered how to make brownies perfectly gooey in the middle without being raw or overbaked? How to make a pavlova light and fluffy? Well, Cassie Best has written our infamous brownie pavlova cake recipe that was a good food cover in June this year and is here to tell us the truth about what it was like developing that recipe and what she learned along the way. Welcome to the podcast, Cassie. How are you? It's so lovely to see you. I'm great, thank you. It's lovely to see you too. I wish it was in person, but soon... I know one day we will be reunited. Can't wait. So Cassie, listeners will know you for your amazing recipes, many of them cover stars spanning across over a decade at Good Food. You truly are the queen of all baked goods and foolproof family recipes. Yeah, I have baked a fair few uh, cake recipes in my time at Good Food. There's quite a few of them on the on the Good Food website now. <laughs> Making a bit of a name for myself, I think. <laughs> No, I'm so excited that you're here. So in June this year, you wrote an iconic recipe that was loved by our readers and made by hundreds of people all over the summer, the brownie pavlova cake. I would love to dive into how you managed to perfect such a great recipe, but let's start by explaining to the listeners exactly what components make up the brownie pavlova cake. Can you talk us through it, please, layer by layer? Sure. So um, it's a lovely um, stacked cake. So on the base, you've got a 20 centimetre chocolate brownie um, layer, a really nice, thick, dense 
brownie uh, and that's topped with whipped fresh cream and seasonal berries so like you say it was uh, for the June issue of the magazine so we wanted to get some lovely seasonal berries in there so we've used strawberries and raspberries and then the top layer of the cake is um, a hybrid brownie pavlova so what you do is make the brownie mix and um, pop that into the tin and then you quickly whip up uh, some pavlova um, or some meringue and you spread that over the top and then you bake the two things together so they kind of well together in the oven um and then you get this lovely contrast of crisp sweet billowy meringue on top and the fudgy brownie underneath as you cut through <gasps> sounds like such a dream the way you describe cakes just makes me want to eat them all day oh my gosh you should have like an audiobook or something <laughs> it sounds amazing though combining both the pavlova and the brownie so original was it a really difficult recipe to make or is it easy once you know how so it was a tricky recipe to develop um probably one of the most tricky recipes I have developed actually because um you, it needed a lot of testing to ensure that the brownie layer didn't dry out in the time it takes to cook the meringue. So obviously with meringues, you cook them at quite a low temperature for a long period of time. So you get that lovely crisp shell on the outside um, and you don't want it to brown too much. Whereas brownies don't don't need to cook for that long. It's more like a cake kind of method. So I, I did play around with it a fair few times Um I think it was seven times in the end I tested it to get the perfect cooking time and the perfect ratio of meringue to brownie. So yeah, it was a tricky one, but now that I've nailed it, it's a very easy recipe to follow. That's so good. Seven times. How amazing. What changed from the first test to the seventh? Um, so originally I wanted to have like two layers of meringue. So you'd have a base of brownie meringue, then the cream and berries, then brownie meringue on top. But um, I just found that the weight of the top cake was too much for the meringue underneath. So although it ate really well, it tasted delicious. It just crushed the meringue and it didn't look as pretty. So, you know, if you're going to all that effort to make a really show-stopping cake, you want it to look really beautiful, don't you? So that um, didn't really work out. So I decided to change it so that you just have a brownie base and then the brownie meringue combo on the top. Um, but then that added complications because you couldn't cook the two cakes for exactly the same amount of time. One of the cakes had to come out of the oven um, first and then the the cake with the meringue topping needed to cook for a bit longer. So you have to quickly whip one of them out, which is fine. But there was a bit of testing around when exactly to take that first cake out. Um, and then I found that despite testing it loads of times to get that perfect timing, the, the brownie layer was still drying out a little bit. So then um, I tried changing the ratios so obviously with a brownie you tend to have more fat and sugar and chocolate than flour or cocoa and that's what gives it that lovely dense gooey um texture but I needed something a little bit more stable so it's not like a really gooey brownie layer it's it's kind of fudgy and dense but it's not gooey it needs that stability uh, so I played around with the ratios a little bit. I increased the amount of flour and cocoa. Um, 
And I also, in the final test, I included some Greek yogurt, which is just great for keeping cakes really moist. So that's something I often do with like a sponge cake as well. And that worked really well and just made sure that the brownie crumb wasn't too dry. That's genius. Such a great tip to add some yogurt into your mixture, even if it is a brownie. Really, really clever. I think it really helps. It just keeps it definitely keeps the cake um, a little bit more moist and it's something I really like to do with the sponge cake as well. I did see loads of people make it over the summer. It seemed to be like a household bake that everyone had to make. So clearly it was worth testing it seven times. (laughs) I think I I kind of thought it was going to go down well. It would be quite popular because everyone loves a brownie. Everyone loves a pavlova in the summer. Um, So combining the two things is kind of, you know, you can't lose really. And it uses normal ingredients, tins that you'd have at home. It's really important, I suppose, to think about those things when you're writing recipes. Yeah, we always consider those kind of things. We don't like to use um, more than tin, more than two tins unless it's, you know, really necessary. Because we know that most people have two 20 centimetre or eight inch cake tins at home. So we try and stick with the tins that we know people have. And like you say, quite basic ingredients. We try to keep the ingredient lists um, down as much as possible because you don't want to be buying, you know, loads and loads of ingredients to make a recipe. Um, So all of those things are really considered when we develop a recipe. I feel like a lot of people don't realise the amount of time and the amount of testing that goes into doing a recipe. So thank you for running through initially the pavlova, but I've also devised some questions in an attempt for the listeners to get to know you a bit more. Nothing too scary, don't worry. (laughs) So when there is nothing left in the cupboards or is the most random concoction that you've eaten, what have you grabbed from the fridge in a hurry or chucked together for the kids? I always have food in the cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) So it's probably not something made out of um, lack of food because I don't tend to have that problem. But it's maybe more, um, I really like sweet and salty combos. So it's probably things that come from that. And I think it's pro- that's probably a result of um, a childhood of dipping chips into my milkshake in everyone's favourite burger chain. <laughs> so yes, I, you you know, I always loved doing that as a kid. And I think as a result, I probably have this um inherent love of sweet and salty things so I love like salty crisps with my chocolate um I've been known to put marmalade in a bacon sandwich which is a really great combo if you haven't tried it give it a go it's like um you know like a Christmas gammon with a sticky glaze it gives you those kind of vibes um and I love things like cheese and an apple pie and yeah I really like sweet and salty combos so sometimes people can find that a bit odd but I I think there's nothing better in my opinion oh genius I have to try that marmalade trick sounds so good it's really good at Christmas like around Christmas time it really floats my boat (laughs) okay have to try that so also this is a little section that I like to call overheard at the BBC HQ when we were working together in the test kitchen, and hopefully that will resume soon, people used to just say the most hilarious things. Can you remember any occasion that people would just say something absolutely out of the blue with no context and it would just sound hilarious? <laughs> I don't know if I could repeat some of the things that have been said in the <laughs> test kitchen. Um, <laughs> probably a, a few profanities when things have gone wrong. Um, but... 
Okay, have I ever heard anyone saying something really funny? I think there's always a lot of drama around Christmas time and like the Christmas taste test. So we're, mm-hmm. we're testing Christmas at the moment and you have just been involved in the Christmas taste test. Thankfully, I got out of it this year. But <laughs> the Christmas taste test involves the team trying ridiculous amounts of Christmas food in the middle of usually a heat wave in August. So loads of mince pies and Christmas puddings and canapes and, you know, everything that's going to be hitting the supermarkets come November. Um, And we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, don't we? Because it sounds great, but then by the end of it, you kind of roll home and just sweat (laughs) Christmas for like a week. (laughs) Yeah, you just have people crying into mince pies being like, I can't do it, not another one. And so around this, time we have to come up with um like interesting ways to describe the flavors of the food because obviously you want to keep it interesting and things can get quite repetitive so I remember once I can't remember who it was but we were trying canapes and somebody said oh it smells like moldy sheep's breath (laughs) (laughs) that's so specific I don't think we put that down on the review (laughs) Yeah, some of the things we oh, come out brilliant. with um, during the taste test are quite funny. <laughs> yeah, there's so there aren't many words that you can use, but the few. <laughs> yeah, well, it's tempting to just say delicious, delicious, tastes great, but obviously that doesn't really describe what it, what you're eating. So you have to be no. creative with your words. So much fun. Yeah, it is a love hate relationship with Christmas taste tests. It's over for another but year, fun nonetheless. <laughs> yes. Another year done. Thank you. Everyone has really got to know you better. (laughs) I never know what people are going to say in these parts. Let's dive into the pavlova cake. So the recipe has a brownie layer. I want to know what you look for in the perfect brownie. Is it personal preference, whether someone wants a gooey inside or a cakey one? What should it be in your opinion? Oh, well, in my opinion, a brownie should always be fudgy and gooey. Um, in the middle otherwise it's just a chocolate cake so that's what really differentiates it from a cake I think so personally I'd say you need that gooey center nice and I do find sometimes when you have a gooey center because of the structure it sometimes dips in the middle how would you avoid that um so it dips in the middle because it's risen around the edges so if you want a really flat brown I mean there's nothing wrong with it rising around the edges that's absolutely fine um but if you want a really like consistently um flat brownie then you could consider removing the raising agent so some brownies don't have any but some um would have like a baking powder or bicarb so you could remove that for an like uber dense brownie or um brownies tend to follow two uh, methods so you either have like a sabayon method where you whip up the eggs and the sugar to dissolve the sugar and incorporate air or you have the melting method where you melt everything together and obviously the melting eth- uh, method incorporates less air um, which so you won't get the, that rise when it cooks so you should go for a brownie that follows that method rather than the beating the eggs and sugar because that's where you're going to incorporate air which will make the brownie rise in the oven and then you'll get a dip in the middle. That's so interesting. I had no idea. I normally stick with the one 
normally like a sat by on method, but it's good to know that there are more out there as well. So we've talked about the method. I was wondering, sugar is a big part in all baked goods, but do you use brown or caster sugar in the brownie? Does it make a difference to the texture or anything? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Cool. So it doesn't really make a, a difference to the texture, but it makes a difference to the flavour. So brown sugar um, has more molasses, so it has that kind of nice caramelly flavour to it. So if you like that flavour, um, then I would use some brown sugar. What I like to do is use um, a mixture of the two, because I find that too much brown sugar can overpower the flavour of the chocolate. So I tend to use half and half. Um and that way you get a lovely, nice kind of caramelly note from the brown sugar, but a neutral flavour from the caster sugar, which means that it doesn't overpower the um, flavour of the brownies. Yeah, I love adding brown sugar to everything. It just gives it such a nice, nutty flavour. Speaking of additions to the brownies, what would you suggest adding into it? I've seen people throw in raspberries and whole biscuits. What would else which could you put into your brownies oh I I love any kind of variations on brownies really some people are real purists about brownies and say you know just chocolate like chunks of chocolate um but it really depends on my mood I love I mean we've got so many recipes on the website and I really love the salted caramel uh brownies that we've got which just have salted caramel kind of swirled through so you get these lovely pockets of caramel as you bite into them and I often cook those if I'm you know taking dessert to a friend's or having people around because they always go down really well and the salt really balances out the sweetness nicely so they're they're always really popular um but I love adding like nuts so some toasted hazelnuts or some almonds with like some blobs of almond butter in there maybe um and then they brownies can work really well with seasonal fruit as well like we're just coming into autumn there's loads of blackberries around so blackberry brownies would be really nice um or anything that works with chocolate so raspberries cherries pears would be lovely um but yeah you can really experiment with brownies it's such a great base recipe to add your own little spin on I think I've never thought about adding fresh fruit into brownies. It's such a nice idea, especially the blackberries. 
Okay, that's the next on the list. (laughs) Thank you for covering all things brownies. Now I wanted to quickly move on to some pavlova questions because it always, always puzzles me for some reason, a pavlova. So I used to have a really hot oven that I could never get low enough to not colour the meringues. They always ended up a bit brown. What would you suggest if that was the case with someone's oven? Mm, Ovens can be um, troublesome. So if your oven does run quite hot, then you might have trouble getting a, you know, pure snowy white meringue. Um, I always cook my pavlovas at a really low temperature and then just turn the oven off and leave it in there for a really long time to really dry the meringue out. So if you're not following a recipe where the uh, temperature is really low, so kind of 130 and below, maybe 120 um, conventional and below, then I would look for another recipe where the temperature is really low. You could also try turning off the fan. Sometimes the fan can um, contribute to like a darker colour on the meringue. So you could try that as well. That's really interesting, the fan tip, because it always seems to make the oven hotter for some reason. Also, with pavlovas, I don't know why it's always confused me, but why do you have to add corn flour to a pavlova but not a meringue? Is there a reason why you would add it to one and not the other? I don't know the science behind this, <laughs> but um, so when you add corn flour and an acid, so it can be vinegar or lemon juice to the meringue, some kind of magic happens, <laughs> which creates that lovely marshmallowy kind of middle to a pavlova. Um, I'm going to have to look into the science behind it because I don't know why, but it transforms it into this gorgeous, crisp on the outside, soft, mallowy middle um, mound. I just think meringue is one of the most magical things to make. It was always magic. I think it's one of the first things I actually baked when I was young. I remember going to a friend's Mm. house and we were looking in her cookbook and we must have been about seven or eight and decided to make meringues. And it just amazed me, even then, how you can whip up egg whites and sugar and create this delicious thing. Um, And by adding corn flour and a vinegar or lemon juice, um, like you say, it turns it, it takes it up another level again. So it really is one of my favourite things to make. I just think it's magical. (laughs) It's just pure magic. That's really interesting about it changing the texture. Makes sense as to why you'd add it. Amazing. Is there any other cakes that you could add to the base of the meringue layer like you did in your brownie cake? Would it work with a different type of cake? Yes, we've got another recipe, a similar recipe on the website, which is quite an old recipe, um, but it's a um, a vanilla sponge with a meringue topping and then it's got cream and blackberries. So I've done that before, like a a Victoria sponge, but you have a layer of the meringue as well. And that's really lovely in the summer as well, you know, with fresh berries. Um, I think I made it for the Queen's Jubilee once with (laughs) some lovely berries. There are so many recipes on the Good Food website. So that's a really good one. There are so many hidden in the archives. So it's nice to know that there are other ones out there. So... Is the meringue layer there perhaps as an alternative to icing? What other elements would you add to make a brownie pavlova cake a real showstopper? I'd say it's more there for like texture contrast. So you have the nice kind of dense squidgy brownie and the crisp 
meringue and then the soft cold cream um so you've got some lovely textures going on there that I, I yeah icing um you don't need icing because you've got the sweetness from the um meringue and the kind of softness from the cream so you don't need icing with it but if you wanted to really make it a showstopper if you're making it for like a birthday or something um you could just pile it high really so put more cream on top and loads more berries some chocolate shavings um or you could add things like honeycomb or you know some um some sweeties if it was for like a a kid's birthday you could add their favorite sweeties on top that'd be really cute so yeah, you can just keep piling it. It's quite sturdy, so you could pile it quite high with all your favourite things. That's such a lovely idea for a showstopper. It's always nice to have something that doesn't include that much icing, because I know loads of people that aren't a big fan. So yeah, it's so. not it's not super sweet, which is really nice. Um, I did actually when I was testing it. I obviously I tested it loads of times, and I didn't need to test it with the berries every time. So one time I had some. Um, passion fruit in the in the fridge so I used like passion fruit drizzled in the middle and that was really nice that's such a good idea so you can change up the fruit and different things in that recipe as well you can you know you can make it seasonal um so like earlier we were talking about using blackberries this time of year or you could use some lovely poached pears come the autumn or winter um so yeah it's really adaptable it's a great recipe so delicious I have to make it again so we've had some questions sent into us from readers all about brownies and pavlovas firstly when you make brownies do you have to have an electric whisk to whip them up or can you do it by hand or does it depend on what method like you were saying earlier yeah it depends on the method but you don't need an electric whisk Um, a brownie isn't something which you need to incorporate a lot of air into so even if you are doing the uh, whisked method, as we mentioned earlier, you could definitely do it by hand. It won't take long to whip the ingredients together at all. It's not like whipping a big bowl of um, egg whites where you need lots of air in there. You can absolutely do it with a hand whisk. That's so interesting. Yeah, I always used to do them with a hand whisk before I got my amazing stand mixer. So Sarah is asking, if you added a bit of extra baking powder to a brownie, will it give them more height or will it be too cakey? Oh, it would give them some height, but it would kind of change the structure. Um, And you don't really, I don't think you really want that from a brownie. If you want more height, I would just add another maybe half of the ingredients. So do one and a half times the ingredient quantity. Um, because if you add the baking powder, it will be a bit more cakey, but also you won't have, because brownies don't have a lot of um, stable ingredients or stabilizing ingredients like flour and cocoa, um, it won't have the dry ingredients to support the rise. So it will collapse more. So you'll get those high sides and then you'll get a big dip in the middle. Yeah, good shout, doubling up the ingredients if you do want some more. Once you've made them, do you normally store them in the fridge or can you freeze them? No, I I would store them um, at room temperature. Um, I think they're better eaten at room temperature unless it's really warm. You know, if it's the middle of summer, um, I would just pop, pop them in the fridge. But otherwise, I'd just keep them in a tin, at, in you know, in the kitchen at room temp. But yes, you can Maybe. freeze them as well. They freeze really well. Um, so cool them down, wrap them really well in some baking parchment 
um, and you can freeze them for a couple of months. That's so good. Yeah, we always used to freeze them in big hotels. With putting them in the fridge, I do find sometimes it gives it a little bit more of a denser texture. But when I was working in the big hotels, we always used to fridge them to cut them really neatly. So if you fridge them and then heat up your knife with some boiling water, wipe it clean and then slice them, you'll get like these perfect slices. Yeah, that's a great tip. So I wanted to finish off by asking you generally about developing recipes because it's just so interesting. What is your process for developing a recipe? Because I know it's different for each member of the team. Do you start off the method or what specific ingredients you'll be using? Oh, good question. Um, So when we're developing recipes, obviously we um, start kind of from planning the magazine. So we think about what's going into the magazine. Um, we, We want a nice balance of seasonal recipes as well as recipes that are appropriate for that time of year for the occasions that are happening so it depends on the feature I'm writing uh, or we might sometimes just write recipes for the website in which case they're a bit more specific and we know exactly what we want um, so the first thing I think about is who who's the audience and what is the feature all about so you know perhaps I'm writing a family feature um and it's all about, you know, it's in September, so it's all about going back to school, back to school, easy dinners, that kind of thing. Um, I'll then consider health aspects. So obviously you don't want things that are really high in fat or sugar or salt for family recipes. Um, and then I'll think about what's in season and use those ingredients. Seasonality is really important to me and to good food. Um because food is at its best when it's in season and it's a lot cheaper and it's um, just a more sustainable way of eating um, because you tend to eat food which is grown near to you so requires less air miles and less transport Um, so there's lots of things to consider whenever we're writing a recipe and then obviously kind of personal preferences and experience come to play as well like what do I like to eat and what flavors do I like together so whilst you're trying to write for a really wide audience and consider what um, a broad range of people would like to eat and see recipes for of course your own personal preferences come into the recipes as well and maybe you give a little twist on you know one of your favorite dishes or just like the brownie pavlova cake really I love desserts I love brownies I love pavlovas so when I was developing this recipe it was a no-brainer really to put those two things together they're things that I really enjoy eating um and then once we've got the idea and the concept of the recipe we want to create in our heads we get down in the kitchen and start you know putting um the ingredients together and putting pen to paper so generally once I've got my idea of what I want to um cook or create I'll write an ingredients list and I'll have a kind of basic method in my head Um, and then I will develop the recipe and write it at the same time so when I'm developing a a recipe I'll have my laptop with me and I'll be jotting down notes um, whilst cooking it and sometimes it requires two or three or four or seven tests um, and sometimes you nail it the first time but we always triple test our recipes anyway just to make sure that they work for the reader. So I would test it, someone else from the team would test it and then it would be tested on the photo shoot 
and we get feedback to improve the recipe all the way along. Um, and then we kind of think about are there unnecessary ingredients in there? We don't want to include things which aren't adding enough to qualify the need to go and buy the ingredient. You know, if you don't need to buy 20 ingredients, then don't. Um, so we think about things like that and we think about the nutrition. All of our recipes get sent off to our nutritionist and she will come back with comments sometimes, you know, suggesting that perhaps we increase the quantity of a certain vegetable because that will get us closer to a certain um, number of fruit and veg in the uh, day, you know, for a tick for your five a day. Um, or she might say the fat is too high. Can we reduce something here? So that's a really valuable resource that we use as well to make sure that the recipes um, have a health um, focus as well. We always consider that. It's so amazing just how much goes into a whole process that you don't see unless you're behind the scenes. And also lovely that it's a really personal thing, writing recipes. What are you most excited to perfect next? Oh, so we're right in the middle of Christmas. Um, so on Good Food, we have two Christmas issues, two Christmas magazines a year, the November and the December issues. Um, and we're finished with November and moving on to December. So I can't give too much away, but I'm really excited to develop, you know, hams glistening with a lovely glaze and Boxing Day pies and um delicious desserts and I mean we've got loads of lovely things coming up so yeah that's Such that's exciting time that'll be happening in my kitchen next week so exciting oh Cassie thank you for joining me I've loved talking all things cake and especially brownies and your brown brownie pavlova cake oh it's all so exciting my pleasure thanks for having me I can't wait to try out all of your tips and recipes. You can find the full recipe for Cassie's brownie pavlova cake over on bbcgoodfood.com. And Cassie is on Instagram at Cassie Cooks. And I'm Liberty on at Baking the Liberty. Cassie will be recording a bonus episode which will be out this weekend so you can cook along with her. Join me next time where I will be joined by another member of our recipe creation team talking through the interesting development process of one of their recipes. Thank you so much for listening to Test Kitchen Troubleshooting, a new podcast from BBC Good Food. For recipes and more information, please visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode.